broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for joining us for another uh, episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That is Jordan. And that over there is Carlin. Today we're going with a 2012 offering, a little film we like to call Deadfall. A lot of other people like to call it Deadfall as well. Yes, they did. I'm sure some people came up with some other clever names for the film based on how not so hot it was. Well, you know what? I Honestly, I was trying to think how Deadfall actually related to the rest of the movie. Like the title in and of itself. I don't think it relates at all. No, it doesn't. Not it's just, really. It's it just a word. Tacked on. Yeah. Know? But this movie was actually a fan suggestion, so thank you so much for that. It was suggested by our friend Greg Stifler. Yeah. Uh, Greg suggested a few more movies. One we reviewed in the past was Safe. Ah, yes. Uh, Greg, you're not on the best of uh, terms with us <laughs> at the moment. It's Well, I mean, at least they're interesting movies to discuss. That's true. It does create good discussion. And this will be no different. Absolutely. Even, even when we have films that we're not crazy about, which I didn't think this was the worst film or anything. No. There were some redeeming qualities. There, uh, was, there was some stuff about the movie that was really good. And we'll, yeah. We'll go ahead and talk about that. We'll go ahead and talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Of course, we're not talking about the Sergio Leone film. We're no. talking about Deadfall. Deadfall. Let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the Netflix summary. On the run after a heist... Siblings Addison and Liza split up, and Liza's encounter with a prison parolee leads to a collision between two families. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, yes. And so this movie, uh, it was uh, directed by Steven Ruzowitzki. Who has not really done much. Not much, no, no. I think this was really his first foray into directing, uh, or at least the first of note. This was also actually the very first and only script for writer Zach Dean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, newbie. Um, I'll give you some other some other information about this this uh, this interesting film before we talk about who was actually in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it cost six million dollars to make this film, and in the box office, you want to guess how much money it made? Four. Four dollars. Four million. <laughs> if if that. Try five hundred ninety-four thousand nine hundred fifty-six dollars. So it's really, it's really banking on Netflix uh, resi- residuals to hold up the film. Pretty much, um, it bombed in the box office. Basically, yeah. um, there were some positive reviews of the film. Um, the overwhelming majority were negative, but uh, the positive things that were said is that it was a strong cast in mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, I I thought that the cast was well chosen overall. Yeah. Um, just to just to give a little bit of a uh, uh, like a summary of the cast, uh, the three major people who were starring in the movie were Eric Bana, Olivia Wilde, and Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. Now Eric Bana, he's known for being in Star Trek, Munich. He was also in Hulk, which was the two thousand three Ang Lee version, which. Uh, tanked at the box office. Yeah, big time. Um, then uh, Olivia Wilde is probably best known for her role on the TV show House. She's also done uh, like Tron Legacy uh, was one of her films, and uh, she's done a few other things as well. One of the movies she's been in that I really enjoyed 
and it would seem the concept seems really stupid, but it's actually a pretty funny film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Change Up with Ryan Reynolds and uh, Jason Bateman. Yeah, I do recommend that for people. It is funny. Now she also had like a small role in the uh, most recent movie Her, and she's uh, been a part of some TV shows like Portlandia and American Dad as well. Okay, so she's getting work. Yeah, she's getting regular. a lot of work, but. Um, I think Tron is probably Tron Legacy is probably her best known piece at this time. I think she's a good actress. Yeah, yeah, she does a good job. She does a good job with the stuff that she's given, um, which is uh, in this case she wasn't given a whole. No, lot. No, she wasn't given a whole lot. I felt like she kind of actually got the short end of a lot of sticks in this movie. <laughs> in more ways than one. Yeah. Now Charlie Hunnam, um, his biggest film role up to this point has been Pacific Rim. Which uh, I did not like. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it for watching monsters and, and robots punch each other. Yeah, and that's, I mean, if you if you know what it's supposed to be, which that's what it's supposed to be, that's fine. But I went into it knowing that, and I just, I couldn't, I, I wasn't big on it. It's not, it's not a thinking movie at all. No. It's very, I don't know, it's kind of boring to me. Yeah, uh, well, and his biggest his biggest role up to this point has been Sons of Anarchy. Which is a great show. It's a great show. Um, it's wrapping up this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it wraps up. Because if if it follows like the, the Shakespearean... T- Shakespeare with motorcycles angle that it's kind of been going with, everybody should die. Shakespeare with motorcycles. That sounds so cool. It... it yeah, it, it, it's a great concept from the beginning. But he he's also been in movies like Cold Mountain, Nickel, Nis, ah, Nickel, Nicholas Nickleby, and he was also in the um, the cult TV show Freaks and Geeks. He was in Freaks and Geeks? He was. Wow. Yeah, so he's been acting for a long time. He's one of those childhood actors who's actually transitioned over pretty well. Some of the other uh, bigger names in the Sissy Spacek is in it as yes. um, Charlie Hunnam's character's mother. Obviously, she was in the wildly popular original Carrie film. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also in another popular film, The Coal Miner's Daughter. Um, and she's been in some things here and there since then. Yeah, um, she was in a. She was also in a, another movie called like In the Bedroom. And it's like, just like, if you look at her IMD credits, she's got like 61 different movies yeah. that she's acted in. She was in Big Love, The Help, uh, Four Christmases, Lake City, Hot Rod. So a whole bunch of different okay. movies. Yeah. And then playing the father of Charlie Hunnam's character, and this was Chris Christopherson. And he's probably best known, at least for our generation, uh, for his movie, um, the Blade movies yes. that he was in. He was in every one of the Blade trilogy films. So, Yeah, yeah and he's he's done some other things, like um, um, a little movie called The Motel, the Motel Life, and um, he was also in uh, the Fallout New Vegas, okay. the video game, as uh, one of the police chiefs. Yeah, I, I looked at his IMDb credits, and it looks like he's done a fair amount of voice voiceover for video games. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I, and it's interesting to see how video games have become this medium that it's accepted to have big-name actors mm-hmm. voice characters in. Which, yeah. I, I don't know if anybody would have expected when video games started off. No, like, perfect example, I love Mass Effect, the Mass Effect series. Uh, I actually have a Mass Effect calendar in the basement where we're recording. And the last installment, they were like, there's going to be a big name doing voice acting for it. Mm-hmm. It was Freddie Prince Jr. 
Needless to say, I hated that character <laughs> that he portrayed. Well, I don't. I don't really know if I would consider Freddie Pin- Prince Jr. a major character or a major he's a, actor. He, he's been a big name. He was. He was at, at one, one point. point. Yeah, recognizable name at least. We can say that. Yeah. Um, I do need to say about Chris Christopherson though. He phoned this in. Like, he really phoned this in. It was a paycheck. Yeah. It, I mean, and if you look at his credits, like. This is the end of his career. Yeah. You know, like, he's really petering out at the moment. I think he's just kind of doing things out of obligation. He's do, he's doing a lot of things like Dolphin Tales, Dolphin Tales 2. Yeah. You know, so, like, Air Buddies, I think, was one of the oh ones that he did. So, I mean, I think at this point in, in his career, he's just trying to cap, capture the, the paychecks as long as he can and then just right off into the sunset. His character in this film, like, the way he portrayed it was totally, like... You know, they'd say something and he'd just be like, mm, oh yeah, mm, okay, yep. okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Here, talk to your mom on the phone. <laughs> he was so disinterested in being in this film and it's all over his face yeah. and it's all over his acting. Um, yeah, so. I hope they at least got to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't even know. So let's go ahead and talk about Deadfall. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, it started out well. I thought it well. I thought that the opening cinematography was really great. Oh, the uh, the car wreck, the car flip. Oh my was god, amazing! The camera work inside of the car wreck, as it's just like flipping around, and you're seeing people like flying through the air in there, and all the money money gets just sucked out of the window. Yeah. Oh, it looked so good. Yeah. It was such an inspired piece of cinematography that I was just like, man, I hope. The rest of the film is just like this. Well, and that was a great way to hook you into the story. Yeah. Because you're looking at it, you're impressed by the shot. It's like the first thing that you notice because it's three minutes into the movie. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great opening hook to get you interested in the movie. And then things just immediately go off the rails. Right. Um, I will say, though, for me, the cinematography was quite nice for mm-hmm. the film. Uh, no issues with cinematography in this. No. And overall, I do think the directing was well handled. It was tastefully done. Uh, the shots were well put together. Um, the score was fairly appropriate for what was going on. Yeah. Um, so there's not too much to argue with on the technical side of things. Uh, and I think, I think we're more concerned, though, with story and elements of, of what's going on in the story. Um, just in general when we when we record this. So I think we're always a little bit harsher on that than we are yeah. on, the, on the technical aspects. I will say early in the film something that, that kind of caught my attention is like, would that really happen? Was how the police showed up so fast after the car wreck. It was like they were right there. Especially considering that it was like they were driving on not even a road. Right, it's like this podunk back road. And right. that's, that's what really hit it. It, lo- it looks like the film Fargo. Yeah, it did. You know what I it mean? did. You know, and I was wondering if I should bring up Fargo as a comparison because the scenery. Yeah, I mean, at least from the aspect of the movie where it, it happens in a short amount of time, the weather is a huge factor in, into the entire story. So, I mean, I guess Fargo is an apt comparison, but again, it's like comparing like a, a creme brulee to your your Texas gallon bucket of ice cream you know what i mean it's <laughs> nice have this nice refined high class dessert or have this 
bucket of calories. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, because there's 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 something that you can enjoy because it is worth savoring mm-hmm. being Fargo, and then there's something you you have just for empty calories, um, like you're you're just your ordinary low end ice cream, you know. And some sometimes you got to make those entertainment choices. You can't always choose something that's high end, but you know, so, sometimes you're just going to walk away from the from the low end stuff and feel really kind of let down. I mean, you can't even make a good milkshake out of it. <laughs> I will say, there are times when we watch films where I'm like, I want that time back. Yeah. Because there was nothing redeeming about the film, it just wasn't worth it to me. This film was not one of those. I, I do feel like I am fine having spent the time I spent, like an hour and a half watching the film, because there were things to enjoy. Mainly, I think Eric Bana, the way he played the character of Addison, mm-hmm. you can just tell that he had fun with that character. And he brought his A-game. He stands in stark contrast to Chris Christopherson on scene. Oh, yeah. Christopherson's just like, oh, yeah, uh, okay. Uh. Mm-hmm. And then you got Eric Bana on the other side, like, oh, chewing scenery. His, like, his acting was crisp. He did a nice job. Like his dialogue was was amazingly delivered, and it looked like he was actually having a lot of fun with the role. Yeah, and f- in my opinion, his acting alone and that that character, the way he portrayed it, mm-hmm. worth the film, worth watching it once just for that, because yeah. he, in front of all, all the other uh, actors there, kind of puts on a clinic. Yeah. And it's just like, this is how you act. This is how you do things. This is how you do this. We, and you know, it's almost it's almost sad that like the film that everybody thinks of when they think of Eric Bana is the Hulk. that Hulk movie. Because it was failed. Because it was such a horrible yeah. failure. But Deadfall was a failure too. It and, was. But and that's sad for Bana because he he did so well. I would like to see like a like a high quality movie that he's able to take part in and have a good role, a strong role in because I really feel like he's an actor who exceeded what was given to him in this film. He's got the chops. Mm-hmm. He can be in something strong. Um, I mean, bottom line, I think people can kind of tell we're, we're we haven't specifically said it, but I think people can read into it. I at least felt that the the writing just wasn't there for this film. No, it it well this is the thing. It's like it felt like very much paint by the numbers. I, I was watching it and I was like, okay, so here's, you know, one of the character gets out of jail. So it's like, oh well, what's what's Jay going to do next? He's gonna beat someone up. He, he, well, he's going to go confront somebody and yeah. probably beat somebody up. Where's my money? Exactly, and that's exactly what happens. Jay gets out of jail. First thing he does, and, and this was interesting because I thought that J, you know Jay was a robber. Or he was a, um, a like maybe a gangster of some kind, or you know, a drug dealer. And of course, it's played by uh, by Charlie Hunnam, so you kind of have that same juxtaposition with Jax Teller. Yes. You know, and I think that I did see a lot of yeah. the Jax Teller character from Sons of Anarchy in Jay. Jay. But the thing about Jay that was interesting was that he was a straight laced guy for the most part, but he was a boxer, and so he had taken a fall to fix a fight. And somewhere along the line, someone, like the authorities found out. And he didn't go to jail for a crime like um, like, uh, um, like something that was really hor- horrendous. Right. He made, it was more that he made a bad mistake. Right. You know, and I thought that was an interesting way to go about the character. That he's not really a villain in the movie, 
but he's someone who made a mistake and had to pay for it. But his father, Christopherson's character, treats him like he's a, a piece of dirt for what he did. He says that he's betrayed his family, he won't even talk to him, you know, it, it, it's, it's a mess. Well, I mean, there are families that as soon as you're, no matter in what capacity, you're in trouble with the law, yeah. you're the black sheep. Like, you, you can't be accepted as that person's son right. or daughter or whatever anymore because you, you did something to shame the family. And that's definitely how the the character Chet acts, who Christopherson plays. Yeah. Um, but I did want to say two things specifically about Jay, the character of Jay. One, I thought it was very cliche and kind of unnecessary how they set his character up. Like, he's a badass and you just need to know he's a badass because, oh, he gets out of jail. Then he just goes immediately and beats someone up and you find out he is a boxer. Okay, so it's just like beating you over the head like... He's a badass. He can fight, which is just really telegraphing to you. He's going to be the guy who saves the day in the end. Yeah. And, and not only is he a badass who can fight, but he's a world-class fighter. He's He's got a silver medal from the Beijing Olympics. Which is another thing that bothered me is that Jay would not shut the hell up about, about Beijing. His, oh, his Beijing Olympics. It's so annoying how he just keeps bringing up Beijing like scene after scene, and I really... Like, I was watching the film by myself, and I out loud went, are you kidding me? I was just like, come on with this. Well, I Give think, it a rest. I think part of it was, you know, that it was the highest moment of his life. You know, and it sounded like it was something that was a high moment in his life right before he was, before he had the fight that sent him to jail. Right. So, he was fixated on his last moment of glory. Of course, you know, there's some... There's some glaring inconsistencies there because the place that he goes to confront the person is his old boxing club mm -hmm. in Detroit, Michigan. So he goes there, and the guy has his medal, which probably Chet gave to him because he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Right. Uh, because he considers the medal, like the, the award tainted. So before he beats him up, this guy, or before he gets beaten up, this guy gives Jay the medal. He's like, here's your medal back. I hope you uh, you enjoy it. Um, and and so Jay's incriminated on the crime scene by taking the one thing that's would be easily identifiable with him. Right. And then going, you know, so it just didn't, it was lazy. It was a lazy scene. Um, there, in my opinion, there was a lot of lazy writing in this. Um, another thing that was quite lazy to me was the relationship between the female uh, police officer and her father, who was the sheriff. Oh, Hannah. Yeah, Hannah, that's right. And her father, I'll just call him the sheriff. Yeah. Um, that was some of the laziest writing I've ever seen. It was so stereotypical, like sexism. Well, it was, it, it, it was sexual harassment. Not just sexual harassment in the workplace, but from your own father. Yeah. It was over the top and stupid, yeah. in my opinion, because, I mean, it, it was some sort of quote like, um, they were all, everyone was being sent out to check, to, to look for this killer, because, you know, Eric Bana's character, Addison, had killed a cop early on, and everyone's going except her, because she's the only female there, and yeah. she's like, well, what about me? He's like, well, you need to be able to hand, handle anything. What if you need to change your tampon? Yeah. Okay, that is probably the most obvious thing that people go for yeah. when when you're when you're picking a difference between men and women, and then she's like, "Well, I I just change it, I just change it," and like she's not even a strong character either. Like she is such, she is like a wafer. 
Yeah, I she's mean... She's thin, and she can be broken so easily. She seemed like a character who was very... emotionally needy. Yes. You know, and so she wanted she wanted her father's approval, um, but she wasn't willing to stand up for him. And the, the thing is, she is shown to be someone who is in, incredibly competent um, in, in the fact that she gets an FBI... She gets accepted to the FBI Academy. Yeah. You know, and so there's this early setup of competence and there's this, like, it's followed through throughout the movie where she is right about what's going on for the majority of the movie, um, but nobody will listen to her. But the portrayal of, of the character by the actress wasn't strong enough to show that she was someone who was able to make a difference. Right, yeah, I... It, it felt to me in the beginning the way they set it up is I was like, okay, she's going to turn into the to a badass at the end and she's going to help save the day and she's it's going to be a big deal and she'll have a big victory. I mean, it was made apparent that throughout it she was right yeah. in a bunch of instances where the male characters were wrong, but past that, like, she never had, like, she her never, shining moment. She never had a, a cathartic moment. No, not at all. She she was kind of helpless the whole time. Yeah. All, all the way through the end. So it was kind of like... What was her character for? You know what I mean? Like, she kind of didn't even really play a part then. I, I think her, her character was there in part to to try and get the the audience to identify with an underdog character. You yeah, know, but it, then it fizzles at the end. It, it does fizzle at the end. Um, because she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not the one who confronts Addison at the very end of the movie. It's Jay. And right. it's, it's Addison's sister, Liza. Yeah, right. You know, so she's just there almost as a glorified extra. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think she's there to kind of help ramp up the violence because of she she leads two other cops to their death. Yeah, which it, it, it was ridiculous to the interaction between she and her father with um, when when they do die, those police officers, and all of a sudden the father's like, this is all your fault. Yeah, he blames her for it. It, it's, it doesn't even come across as viable. Like, no. I don't even believe that that would be his reaction. It's so stupid. It's There are a lot of things in the film that are very contrived, yeah. and, and that relationship right there is one of them. That's just, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, but I did want to talk about another one of the characters. I think Olivia Wilde does a good job as Liza, but she wasn't given much as far as the writing goes. No. Her character is basically a simpleton. Yeah. She's not smart. She is... You know, a helpless fawn, basically, albeit a bad guy, but just because she was led there by her... By Addison. Yeah, by her brother, who's her protector, and she refers to him as such. Um, I think it's insinuated that she was a stripper by the way she was dressed. Yeah, I think think the thing is that she was used as quote-unquote distraction in the actual heist. So what that actually means... It's kind of left up to the viewer's interpretation. I kind of thought that her character was kind of like, you know, thrust at some guards. It's like, oh, help me, help me, help me. And then... It's possible. Um, because she's wearing, like, for the majority of the movie, she's wearing this sequined gown and, and, and looks like she was made up pretty nicely before yeah. that. Um, but they don't ever get into what actually happened with the heist. Except right. that it was at a uh, at casino. a at a casino owned by a Native American tribe. Aside from that, there the, the heist is not even. It's not on the. It's radar. not even part of the movie. It's yeah. 
<laughs> Which might have been interesting to show flashbacks to the heist. Maybe. Uh, you know, because that might have made the might made the connection between Addison and Liza stronger. Although I don't know if you wanted that connection to be any stronger than yeah. it actually was. I mean, for me, it was it, it was good in the end that Liza became strong and she ended up killing Addison because it was the right thing to do. Like, she had her kind of moral awakening and she was able to separate herself from her brother um, after, you know, obviously she, she was so tied to him not just because he was her brother but because she, like she said, he saved her from their father who she said was a devil, basically. Yeah. He was a terrible person, apparently, but... So that created an even stronger bond, and they wanted to get it on, too. You know, and, and I think it's interesting because she describes her father as the devil mm-hmm. early in the movie. And it's, it sounds very much like she was abused as a child right? Um, in, a, in a physical way. But in, in the very early part of the movie, um, it, it's very quickly established that her and Addison have an incestuous relationship. And so at one point she's, she's putting on some jeans and she's got her skirt hiked up and Addison is looking and she tells him it's okay to look. She kind of is flirting with him and he says, don't wake up the devil. Right. You know, so he's kind of saying, he's saying it's the same, that that lustful kind of imagery is, is the same within him as it was in in his father. That's also echoed further on when he is in that cabin with the girl and her mother. And the girl calls him an angel. angel. But then when the cops come, he shoots one of the cops and the girl says, you're not you're an, an angel. angel. And he said, no, I'm not. So that's insinuating, again, like he is like his father. He yeah. has the devil in him like his father. Um, I mean, that's kind of interesting. That's a, that's some decent writing, I Th- think. That's probably the best writing in the movie. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know. It's it's kind of rough to me, and the the whole Liza character bothers me because, you know, I would like to see a female character that was strong throughout, or or is downtrodden and then becomes very strong, and you just you don't actually get that. It's not. It's the thing is that the character is there not to be um, someone of of strength or a character in and of themselves. Liza is used more as a, a way to put. Jay and Addison at opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. You know, That's she's true. kind of, she's she's the fulcrum on which these two men are having this argument at the very end of the movie. Um because basically what happens is um through a very contrived series of events and we'll talk about this more in a moment. Um everybody winds up at Jay's parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner. And um I mean, it wasn't intended. No, it wasn't for everyone to be there for Thanksgiving dinner, but it just kind of it kind of happened. Yeah, because Addison shows up and yeah, does his terrible thing. And... But so so at one point, you know, Jay has decided that he has feelings. He has the feels for Liza's character, which it's all based on looks. Yeah, hundred percent on her looks because he doesn't know her when he first meets her. She, you know, they make up names for who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's just like, I'm in love with you, basically. Like, they sleep together, and he's all into her before he even knows who she actually is. So it, it's very contrived, that relationship, because you can't actually be in love with somebody if you don't know who they are at all. You just met them that same day. 
you're physically attracted to them. That's lust, and it, it's obvious. Well, okay, it's been two days in this film, basically. Right. Um, but the thing for me is it, it would be fine if the character's portrayed as he thinks he's in love, but it's just physical attraction. But it's... The way it was written, it was trying to portray like, it as he is legitimately in love. love. The the guy just got out of prison for multiple years. Of course, if like uh, he's gonna bone the first thing he sees. Exactly, especially if it's a Olivia Wilde. I mean, yeah, she's attractive. So yeah, it, it, it was something that it was. Uh, I was watching it, and I'm like, this. Of course, he's going to go after it. I mean, uh, there's there's nothing stopping him, and he just got out of prison, so he's randy as hell. You know. Probably. So it, it, it makes, like, the, the physical thing made sense, especially considering how Liza probably uses her body uh, to, to keep Addison happy, right. and therefore is not, he's not as abusive as he could be. So she sees this as a way to avoid an argument or, or avoid abuse from somebody else, and also to manip- manipulate him. Yeah. Yeah, because she needs to be able to tag along with with Jay throughout the film. Exactly. So she needs to be as much on his good side as possible. And what better way to get on someone's good side than to have sex with them? I mean, just saying. That's I, that's what happens. Yeah, I mean that that's how it's portrayed in the movie. And yeah, it's like, do you need to get close to somebody? Do you need to be their friend? Be their best friend by having sex with them? Very, <laughs> very, very close. You can get what you need multiple times in the movie. Yeah. Um, Going back to the whole incest thing, I was wondering when it first came up, I was like, is this just like a cheap way for the writer to just be like, make people even more disgusted with who they are as people? I feel like it kind of was. Yeah, I mean, there there's not many things beyond incest that you can throw out there that makes people seem like horrible human beings right, right. off the bat. It's a quick, easy way to make people seem pretty despicable. Yeah. The the only other way that I can think of right off the bat is to stick a swastika on them somewhere. <laughs> you know, and say that they're a Nazi. Yeah, it's it's not too far. I mean, there are worse things that that could have been done with yes. that. Yes, I mean, it's it's also. I mean, I do think it was just put there so people would be like, oh, they're bad. They're they're, they're awful. No redeeming qualities. Come on. And it's interesting to see how. Liza and Addison are treated as southern hicks. They grew up on a farm. You know, Addison tells the little girl. And I thought the scenes with the little girl in the cabin had some really amazing moments in it. Like the acting between the the, the little girl and, and Banna were fantastic. I thought she was really good for, for the role that she was given. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's just this stuff there that's... You take someone from the South, you say that they're that they're in an incestuous relationship and they come from horrible parents, and that's like all of the redneck stereotypes that you can throw into one, one basket. Basically, yeah. You know, so, good times. <laughs> there are a lot of stereotypes in this in this film. You know, also, also, one thing that I noticed was that, like, Addison and Liza are given very thick Southern accents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you don't hear the Michigan accents... Right. From Jay and his family, like you're supposed to. Um, of course, you hear a little bit from like the police officer, like one of the police officers. I think kind of he had, had a it. bit more of a Canadian accent, though. Oh, that's true. Um, but like Charlie Hunnam, God bless his soul, but he's British, and he has a hard time with American accents in general. 
Right. And but that's the thing is that he portrays mostly American characters. Yeah. So let him portray a British guy every once in a while. Just give, let him like get him some give him some leniency. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um cuz he can't he can't do Michigan to save his life. One of the things that really bothered me about um the way uh Addison talked, is the way he said the word baby. He was like, "Baby." Baby. Baby. It's like he took Elvis and turned it up to 11. I was like, what the hell? I was like, if he says baby one more time, I'm going to lose it. Because it is just annoying. Anyway, that's a small thing. That's a very small thing. It's a small thing. But, I mean, all the small things add up to, like... They do. Major nitpicks. They do. Um, Yeah, if there's something that's just nagging. Like, like the whole Beijing thing that keeps coming up. Like, that was nagging, too. I was just like, oh, God, just lose it now. Just stop. We get it. Um, but uh, along the lines of, of stereotypes being used in this, one, one of the stereotypes I picked up on was the stereotype of stepfathers are terrible people. Yeah. At least in films they are. Yeah, well, I mean, this th- that guy just... He sang, seemed like a, a piece of cl- class material. <laughs> Um, there, there's this character, there, um, Addison encounters, uh, several people that he promptly murders throughout the movie. Of um, course. Yeah. He has to, he that has way to. you know he's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and one of these is, uh, it's a family of four, um, and they're in a hunting cabin in the middle of the woods, so, you know, no one can hear you scream, and the... The the fa- the husband who's the stepfather to the little girl that um, we mentioned a few moments ago is on a real bender. He's an abusive alcoholic, which yeah. is a very stereotypical thing for stepfathers in movies. Yeah, and so Addison decides we're going to go ahead and take care of this problem because uh, maybe because of his relationship with Liza, he has a Probably. hard time seeing little girls suffer. Um, well, he called her Liza. She he said her name's Lisa, and he called, called her, her Liza at one yeah. point. So he definitely does view that situation as he needs to protect her because she's just like his yeah. sister. I, and, and, you know, this is one of the... This actually... It was a very bad stereotype in the movie to say that this stepfather is an abusive person. But it actually made me like Addison quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because y- you see that sense of honor... That he has, that, you know, children must be protected is something that he says in the movie. And I thought that was really cool to see that, yes, he is a pretty despicable person who's willing to kill just about anybody for any reason, but he still at least believes in one thing. Well, every person in life, even if they're a bad person, they have, like, one redeeming quality at least. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's anyone out there that has zero redeeming qualities. There's always some, at least, small thing that you can find that's somewhat redeeming about them. Mm -hmm. So, But, but, I mean, this is something that's small, but Banna made it work so well with the character. He did. Yeah, he did. It, it, It was definitely a moment where the audience could kind of get lost in it and be like, oh, I actually am feeling for him right now. I feel like he's not a terrible person. And then all of a sudden he's killing police officers and again. I wanted to talk about that because there this leads to the big chase scene of the movie because every action thriller has to have a chase scene. Oh yeah. And this one involves snowmobiles. Which by the way, let me say real real fast first, a small thing that bothers me with movies and TV in general. Um 
if I'm watching a movie and I have it at a good volume for dialogue, dialogue's mm -hmm. good, dialogue's good, and then like a fight scene or dramatic music or a chase scene happens, and volume jumps. blows your freaking eardrums out. Yeah. That drives me crazy, and that's what happened in this film. Uh, dialogue's good, film's good, and then the snowmobile scene happened, and I had to crank that volume way down because it got so ridiculously loud. It did. And I'm like, when you're editing this film, do you not think about this? Like, you can control volume level. Sound design, Duh. And sound design is an important part of movies, but it's something that's overlooked a lot of times. But then I'm wondering if that's just something that's kind of, like, now a cultural thing, because I feel like it gets extremely loud in the theaters, too, during those times, and I think that's I think that's kind of cons um, perceived as something that's wanted by the audience in theaters. I think it might be considered a way to increase the dramatic tension, quote-unquote. Right. You know, if if things are quiet for a long time, then it's a low dramatic tension. Right. And then all of a sudden things are tense and overwhelming and everything. we got to ratchet up the volume because people need to know. But, I mean, if you have a good piece of score... And good sound design, it's going to ratchet up that tension anyway. Right, exactly. It, you know, it, because the music, the music is going to create a, a sense of emotional tension, which is far more important for a movie than overwhelming the sensory, uh, the, the senses like what you actually hear. And I agree that it was, it, it probably was a tactic to kind of ratchet up the tension. But yeah, it's it's probably the cheapest. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So be a little smarter. You know, do something better. But. You you had something about the uh, the snowmobile chase. So when when Hannah and the and Tweedledee and Tweedledum arrive, <laughs> that's at how the they cabin, are. Um, Hannah decides to call it in for backup because things don't seem right to her for whatever reason, and it's not even really clearly laid out why she feels this way. Women's intuition. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that comes to mind. So she goes to call him for backup, and the other cops are like, no, don't do that. And one of them actually takes her, her radio and throws it into the snow. Yeah, that just seemed like, okay, all the male cops are children. They are. In this film. They're, they all they're, act they're, like childless, uh, childish idiots. They're, they're stuck in middle school. And well, and the thing, too, is the sheriff, Hannah's father, is just a bucket of idiotic rage. Like, that's all he is. He's totally inept, and... Once again, this is another film, and this happened in Jingle All the Way, like crazy. It makes law enforcement look like a bunch of dumbasses. Yeah. It makes it look like they all have their thumbs up their butts, and that's a yet another stereotype in right. this film. Right, exactly. Um, and and but the great thing is that the way that the geographical setting is is laid out, this is in the forest, and there's a stream that's running between where. The, the police officers stop on their snowmobiles and then the house. And there's a little, like, two or three plank bridge that you can cross over the stream. And it's important there's a stream there because Addison drags the body of the stepfather right. and dumps it into the stream. Mm -hmm. All three of the cops stop on the far side of the stream. One of the cops walks across to knock on the door and see what's going on. And, of course, Addison obliterates him with a shotgun. Yep. And then Addison steps out of the house, and there's a snowmobile right next to the house, 
whereas all three of the snowmobiles were lined up on the opposite side of the bank. Oh, okay. Yeah, continuity issue. Very huge continuity issue, because that entire snowmobile chase was predicated on the fact that one of the cops was stupid enough to take his snowmobile on the other side of the creek when all three of them had been clearly shown as on being on the far side with the cop walking over the bridge. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't notice that one. Wow. You yeah. pick up on some stuff. It, it well it really bothered me because I'm like I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I, I, I look at my girlfriend and I go, This is so obvious. <laughs> it's like he could not have gotten onto a onto this snowmobile because it was right next to the door when it was clearly not anywhere near the cabin. It would have been better for him to like charge over the bridge or something. Well, that makes me think also about uh, another snowmobile-related thing in the film, which is when Hannah sees the abandoned snowmobile um, that he had stolen from from the mountain man. From the Indian? Yeah. Um, Native American. Native American. Well, he um, called him an Indian chief. Yeah, well, yeah, he did. Um, so she sees it, and that's not far from that cabin where he is, and that's kind of like her signal that something's wrong. But I don't get it because, like, she sees it, and she's like... That looks like that was left there intentionally. Well, no, duh. Like, if it's the not, hood is the up. The hood is up. It looks like someone just wandered away from it. Like, state the obvious, you, you dipshit. <laughs> it, well, and you know... But then the guys are like, what are you talking about? It's just there. Let's go. I, uh, yeah, it, it it was not, like, not well done. Real life, it is not. Not even close. Well, what, I will say that one of the cool things about that... Um, that the broken snowmobile was that was that uh, Addison had a pretty badass moment with it because yeah because he had his finger his pinky finger chopped off by the Native American that he fought which actually was a pretty good fight scene in my opinion because it looked like Addison may have been about to get it yeah yeah so. he he was very close to, to purchasing that farm that he always wanted yeah exactly which he gets in the end yeah. And so he gets his finger chopped off. He rides the snowmobile until it breaks down. And then he opens up the hood and uses the hot engine to cauterize the the pinky. Which I thought was pretty cool, all things considered. I have to question, though, does an engine like that get hot enough to actually cauterize something? A, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a good question. I'm not yeah. sure. Because I, I, I would think that when he gets to the to the stepfather's hunting cabin. There's a, a wood stove there. He could have picked up a, a burning piece of wood and used that as a far more effective cauterizing agent. But hey, whatever. Yeah. Film logic. Well, like in the Boondock Saints that we reviewed, if anyone hasn't listened to it, go back and listen to that review. That was fun. Um, they cauterized uh, things with um, an iron that I, they had on the stove. Yeah. They just put an iron on a... It's a gas stove, I believe. Yeah. And then they just take it off and cauterize that way. But interesting... Um, one of the other things that kind of drove me a little nuts is that the, the the time between the sheriff finding like the dead bodies and then him like actually going and tracking down Addison to the house where Jay's family is, it seems like he was putzing around a while. Like it, it really seems like been ri- running around in circles or something. Well, the pacing of it and when they kept going back to him and showing what he was up to. Like, he wasn't doing anything. He was just like, oh, no, oh, God, oh, jeez. And 
like, <laughs> it just seemed like he was just taking his sweet old time, and he's an idiot. He was just, like, screwing around. Especially because Addison had gotten shot and was bleeding from the leg. Yeah. You it, know, because then there's this trail of blood leading exactly to where he's going. And it and it's shown that on the second day, on Thanksgiving Day, it doesn't snow. You know, so he's walking around bleeding out, and there so there's a, a clear track on the white snow, red blood. I mean, that should be pretty easy for anybody to follow from the field where he, where he kills the second cop mm-hmm. with with a really nasty uh, barbed wire garrote to technique, which I thought was interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and then he goes along, and he he rides all the way to to Jay's parents' house with a wound in his leg, so he's bleeding all the way. Yeah. It, he literally has a trail to follow. It, exactly. But he's, I mean, I guess he did follow the trail eventually, but I think he was, like, stopped to go into an outhouse, and he stopped to, like, pick some flowers, and, like, drink some water, and, you know. He had to build a snowman. I, I guess, probably. I mean, yeah. it just seems like he's screwing around. Because it's, like, it, it's a, it seems like it's at least six to eight hours before he actually yeah. arrives. He's like, oh, wait, I have a job to do at some point. Yeah. I have to pal- polish my badge first, though, yeah. and make sure that I send out a, a, a call over the radio for everybody else to wear their their Kevlar vests, even though I'm not wearing mine. Yeah. He's probably, like, walking... He was probably walking around thinking about, okay, I need to queue up some more sexist uh, slams I can say to my daughter. So Because she, she hasn't suffered enough in this movie. Yeah. Well, and then he shoots her in the back. Well, yeah, but... That's Addison. Addison. Addison being smart, but being also smart. the sheriff not being very calm. No. Like he's not cool-headed at all. Like I'm pretty sure that in a crowded, in a room full of people sitting at a table who are being kept hostage, you don't just jump out and shoot someone. I don't think that's proper protocol. No. I don't think it's even close to smart. Any anyone knows that. Yeah. That, that's stupid. Yeah. So he does that, he shoots his own daughter in the back. He doesn't seem too faced by it, though. No. He's kind of like, ah, well. Well, yeah, I mean, at least she was wearing her Kevlar vest. Yeah, it was like... Because, I mean, she doesn't take it off for the entire movie. Yeah. And good thing she didn't have to stop and change her tampon, right? I'm not <laughs> even going to comment so on that It's terrible. Some of the writing in this is just... Let's talk a little bit about the dialogue between um, June, who's played by Sissy Spacek, and Addison. Good. Yeah, yeah. Because, because that, that, like, that was one of the best parts of the entire movie. I agree with that. Addison, the character of Addison was decent enough, and the way Eric Bana played that character was very delightful. Yeah. But the, yeah, the scene specifically where Addison's interacting with June, uh, Sissy Spacek's character, is really well done. Yeah. It, it plays like a legit piece of cinema. It does. It does. And, and, and the great thing about it is it's, um, Jay's father apparently was an ex-sheriff. So apparently Hannah's dad is the guy who replaced him. Um, and so it seems like, it seems like June's character somewhere along the line got some kind of hostage negotiation or, or you know, like some kidnapping survivor training of some yeah. kind or another. Because she's, she, as soon as, as soon as Addison breaks into the house, she just goes into this really calm, almost professional stance where she's like answering questions and she, um, 
she sympathizes with him, makes her makes him feel comfortable with him, and they develop such a rapport that when when Chet comes in and threatens him, he goes, "I really like June, and I don't want to hurt her." And I legitimately think that it was portrayed such that you believe that even if things went down, mm-hmm. that if a bunch of people got killed, that Addison would not kill June. Or if or if June somehow got killed, he would regret it. Yeah, definitely. Because she did a good job of relating to him yeah. and just being like, look, I'm not a threat. You know, I just want you to leave me alone whenever this is all done. Like, what what can I do to make this go as smooth as possible? And, of course, the, the one thing that she forgets is that she has invited a cop over for Thanksgiving dinner. Right. Which, <laughs> has she really forgotten it? She may not have. She might not have. But, anyway, about it, she had Hannah walk into a situation where it was... Not going. And I thought Hannah, this was her moment to like step up and do something, but then she just she doesn't. No, she sits down. She gives him his, she gives him her gun, and just says, "Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) I'm just going to sit here." She doesn't even. The reason that she that Hannah is coming to the, to the um, to the farm, uh, is because she wants to talk to Jay about the guy that he that he sucker punches, and. Throughout the entire movie, it's kind of assumed that Jay accidentally killed the guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I thought so too because he was bleeding out. He, of the he back was bleeding of his out of the back of his head. He had been he had hit his head on a sharp corner of a of a filing cabinet. You know, it looks like it was the end for Mister Green Tracksuit. His name was Ronnie. Ronnie, actually, yeah. Well, uh, all, the most memorable thing about him was he was wearing a green Adidas tracksuit. Yes, so, he was. Um, so it was just like. You, you've expected him to be dead, and, and then all of a sudden you find out, oh, no, he's not dead. He just has a concussion. <laughs> you know? But any way you look about it, Jace's going to go back to prison. Yeah. Because, you know, he's he's violated parole, at the very least, by, by punching up somebody. I did think it was kind of interesting that they <clears throat> had that aspect of Jay thinks the whole time that all the cops he sees are after, are, are him. after him when... He has no clue that there's this killer out there. So, yeah. That was kind of And also, it's pretty fun to see how Liza, who's with him, feels like all the cops are after her. Yeah. Like, there's this one scene when, they're, when they've are when pulled into the, um, the parking lot of a motel. Because Jay just plans to drop her off and then keep on going to his parents' house. Um, because it, what a better place to be arrested than your parents' house. Uh, <laughs> right. At least you're at home when it goes down. You right, feel exactly. kind of comfortable. Exactly. I can understand that, actually. It makes sense. But um, but he, he goes to leave her there, and this cop walks up, and Jay has gone to open the door of his car. He, he slams it really quick, and then they both slump down. And we're just I was just looking at it going, well, that's not suspicious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. I do want to say there was, there was a quote that I thought was kind of funny in this. Okay. Um, somebody had said to Liza, they're talking about, like, relationships. Yes. Because that's when she was pretending that she was in a relationship with with Jay. Mm-hmm. And she was calling him Addison, and she was calling herself Patricia. Yeah. And someone said, you can pick the guy, you just can't pick, pick the, family. the family. Which is a funny double meaning in that, because she means... You know, you can pick the guy you're with, but you can't pick the family. They might be crazy. You might not like them. Yeah. But the way it plays is what's going on truly in Liza's life is she wants to 
you know, romantically be with her brother. So it's like you can pick the guy, but don't pick your own family. Yeah. It's how it kind of yeah. plays out. Well, and, and that was an interesting scene because uh, the bar owner is this woman who essentially, I guess, got the bar as alimony. Yeah, she you know? says that. So, so she's talking about, oh, yeah, this is my... This is my bar. I got it in the, the divorce. And then a woman yells off in the distance, bring me more beer or something like that. And she goes, and that's my ex-sister-in-law. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah. And then that's when that quote comes Yeah, up, exactly. So it's like, even if you're in this, in this, even if you get out of the marriage, you still have to deal with all the, the baggage that goes with it. Yeah. Um, and the last, the last thing I wanted to comment on in this film was at the uh, Thanksgiving table mm -hmm. when Jay and Chet, father and son, finally apologized to one another. Horrible scene. Just cheesy and stupid and didn't work, and that was another one of those contrived moments that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Well, it's like, what are you thankful for? I'm sorry, Dad. Yeah, like he goes, he tells him the whole thing, and he's like, oh, I threw the fight, and it was for this, and uh, I'm sorry. And then, and then Chet's like... Oh yeah, um, yeah. I guess I screwed up too. Okay, we're good. You know, well, and and that's kind of that, that was kind okay. of ridiculous because you would think that if your son goes to jail for throwing a fight and you're a sheriff, you know, you probably sat in the courtroom during the entire trial. You know, if if it's your kid, that's typically what parents do a lot of times. Yeah. You know, and so he's in he's in jail, and they say. It, it would be public record why he went to jail for fixing a fight. Right. So instead of saying, yeah, I regret what I did and I'm sorry I let you down, he's, he tells his dad exactly what he probably already knows. <laughs> right. And then that's enough for him to be like, oh, I'm sorry then. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess we've all kind of made mistakes here. And here's the thing. No matter what that scene, the way it was written, was not going to work out. No. Okay? It wasn't going to play well. But add to it the fact that Chris Christopherson does not give a shit. And it makes it so much worse. He's just so like, oh, whatever. Whatever. I love <laughs> yeah, you're a good boy. Now sit down and think about how you can punch the, the guy with the gun. I just think that there are some decent things in the film. And it's I, I think it could be worth watching once for some people. But, well, for Eric Bana's performance, really. Yeah. But... I think that all the moments, just just look for all the moments when Chris Christopherson comes up and laugh at it because he just does not care. Yeah. I have not seen an actor care less in a, in a role before. Uh, yeah, I love, I love like when he goes out to go hunting on Thanksgiving morning. Uh, it's like he just decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hunting. I'm going to leave the wife to cook me my giant Thanksgiving meal. Make me my food. Right, exactly. He's like, I'll be back. I'll be back by noon unless I'm tracking something. So it doesn't even sound like he cares about Thanksgiving dinner. He's like, and damn it, it better be ready when I get home. Yeah. I sure as hell hope that you don't stop to change your tampon. <laughs> I, I think that his wife was probably past that point. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> I'm just doing the callback. I'm trying to illustrate to people how, how terrible that is. bit of writing is from the beginning of the film. Yeah. It's really bad. It's awful. Really bad. Well, I think we've pretty much exhausted Deadfall. Um, again, the title doesn't go with the movie in any way. No. I just, I some, mean, some people died, and at some point, pe 
people fall down. I mean, Eric is that where they got Eric it? Bana jumps off of a of a small cliff at one point. He did. So we fell. Well, he didn't really fall. Did anyone fall in this? I don't think anyone fell. Is yeah, Deadfall actually, the name of the town? I don't. No, I mean, he, he did. It, Addison did fall down dead when when his sister shot him. Okay, he fell. Okay, or here's a more likely situation. They didn't have a title for it, and they were like, Chris Christopherson, what's the name of the film? Oh, and he's like, Deadfall. Deadfall. I don't know. <laughs> this was not part of my contract. <laughs> he just throws something out there. Ah, Deadfall sounds good to me. Whatever. Okay, so do you want to go first? you want me to go first? Why don't you go ahead and go okay. first? So, like I said earlier, the cinematography I thought was well done in this film. Mm-hmm. The Obviously, the, the car wreck scene was really awesome. Uh, I think the music was appropriate enough, except the volumes, obviously, I had a problem with. Um, the directing, I thought, no problem with the directing. Yeah. So, uh, Stefan Ruzowitzki did a good job. Um, the script is weak. You know, obviously, some stereotypical characters, a lot of contrived situations, things that don't really make sense, um, cheesy stuff, you know, whatever. The acting overall, I thought, was at least good. Um, obviously we've talked at length how Eric Bana did a really, really, really good job. And I think for that reason, this film is worth watching just to see just the joy that Eric Bana brings to playing this character of Addison. And I think that the writer put enough into the character that it was a decent character, but then Bana just took that character and I believe was just kind of like, look, I'm going to make this something even more. And he does that. And I thought Sissy Spacek did a really good job. And like we talked about that scene where those two come together. Yeah, a really nice uh, piece of cinema right there. Overall, not a lot of issues with this film. But just because of Eric Bana, I'm going to give it two stars. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, watching this movie, one of the saving graces of it is that it's only 90 minutes long. You know, ding, it, ding. If it you had it. been any longer and they had tried to put more ridiculous stuff into it, it would not have it would not have been worth watching at all, um, but the movie is, like you said, well directed and everything. But also, I think that the editing kept the pacing brisk enough where it, I, even though it was paint by the numbers, I was still interested in seeing what was going to come next. Yeah. Um, even though it was probably going to be something ridiculous and cheesy. Um, again, we made the comparison to Fargo earlier on and like the the way that the scenery looked and everything like that. I, I don't think you can get away from that in a movie that's set in the Northwest or like the North Midwest of America during a, a blizzard. You know, that's just kind of what it is. Um, I thought, like you said, Banna's acting is really, really top notch. I, I think Lysa could have been a much more interesting character, and I wish that Olivia Wilde had been given some more to do with the role. Because um, I think she would have rose to the occasion. I think she would have. I mean, she. I feel like what she had, she did the best she could with. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I would kind of like to see Charlie Hunnam not be typecast. Yeah. You know, so... Sorry, Charlie. Sorry, yeah. I mean... I like I like him as an actor. That's the thing. Yeah, I think he's a good he's a good actor, but he gets typecast a lot. Yeah, that uh, just sucks. Um, so again, I I think that the acting, the acting and directing and the pacing of the movie are are good enough to give it at least two and a half stars. But I feel that's being generous. Yeah. For a one time watch. Okay. Um, and you know if 
if I saw the movie again, um, it probably would drop pretty significantly. <laughs> you know what I mean? If this was a I movie that... Because there are some movies that we we watch for the first time and, and then we rate it. And then there are movies that we watch for a second time. And we already picked up a lot of flaws with this movie. I feel like watching it a second time would only either reiterate those flaws or bring out new flaws that, that would drive you crazy. So I, I, I think... I think two and a half stars is very, very, very generous. Okay. So overall for the podcast, two and a quarter stars. Two and a quarter. That's actually not bad for this film, in my no. opinion. I think we have been quite generous. and It's on the back of Eric Bana. I mean, Eric yeah. Bana... He carries this movie so much. Yes, he does. God, I, I wonder if he had to have back surgery after this for carrying everyone with him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, he probably just, like, threw it down and just, like, yeah, you, you just fall down dead over there. You know? Chris Christopherson's like, yeah, Deadfall, that's the name of the film. All right, well, that pretty much wraps everything up for us. Uh, we hope you have a great week. Uh, go ahead and let us know if you have any movies that you'd like us to watch. And Jordan. Yes. Did you know I won a silver medal at Beijing? Really? Tell me more. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production.